What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, this is Ian Happ from the Chicago Cubs. I'm excited to announce that my show, The Compound, is now part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Join me and my teammates, Dakota Meckis and Zach Short. This week, we welcome Cubs first baseman, World Series champion, Anthony Rizzo, to The Compound. Check it out. Subscribe. The Compound on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Hey, hi, hello, Hardwood Knox listeners. I am Dan Favalli coming at you with my good friend and colleague, Bleacher Reports, Adam Frommel. He is also the founder and editor-in-chief of NBA Math, the site that is hosting our topic today. Adam went all out and created the NBA's ultimate all-time one-on-one tournament. And I'll let him get to the specifics of it. He did break it down by height regions, but the quick gist of it is... Aside from those height regions, this included every single player in NBA history, just to give you an idea of the undertaking. So we're going to take you through the process that got us to the final, him to the final 16 players, and we will make our picks for those 16 players, and those will be revealed in due time on the NBA math account at NBA underscore math. First, though, we need to get to our usual housekeeping notes. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever else you are getting your podcast. That is what helps us out the most. Even if you are getting your podcast from a Spotify or Stitcher, if you can sign into iTunes, rate, and review us, we'd we'd really appreciate it. That helps us out a bunch, and we're also interested in constructive criticism or, or feedback, any suggestions. I read it all. Adam will read it all, I'm sure, too, because he reads everything. Follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Make sure you're following Adam on Twitter at Frommel09. And last, but certainly not least, shout out to our sponsor this week, Bet Online. You will be hearing from them in just a few moments. Adam, how are you doing? I'm good. Right now, I'm I'm just particularly thankful that we get to talk about basketball and not the sport formerly known as baseball. Because I'm not sure that, that that sport is going to exist in the form that we know it for too much longer. Yeah, that's can't get into that in this podcast, but it does seem like the MLB is using this pandemic, this situation as a means to really just destroy or gain actual power over the players union. That's just my interpretation of this is that they have the ulterior motive. They want more control. And it's not surprising because baseball is ultimately run by people who don't like baseball. But again, topic for another (laughs) kind of like how the NBA is analyzed by way too many people who seem to dislike the NBA today, particularly on TV. But I know it's like if, if, if you talk about numbers too, you can't like basketball, right? Isn't that how it works? Yes, uh, there's all, and there, it can never be blended. It's it's the eye test or numbers. There's ne- there's never an in between, obviously. Right, and it amazes me how many people you know dedicate hours and and hours and hours to analyzing something that they don't care about with numbers. It's <laughs> it's a weird hobby. All topics for other days, though. We have a happier topic, though. Let's uh, we do. What can you lay out for the listeners with if they follow me and they know this tournament has been going on for a really long time. 
just just break down what this entire thing entailed. Yeah, so essentially, I'm always intrigued by these all-time tournaments, whether it's jerseys or teams or players. But you know, it's always so arbitrarily done, right? It's somebody choosing, hey, let's let's take the top 64 players and do that. We're not going to do that here. We're going to use dating back to 1946, 1947, literally all 4,489 players who have logged minutes in an NBA game or technically a BAA game if we go that far back. So which you did. You know, we're talking which we did. <laughs> so we're talking about the guys who played literally 1 minute in their career and never played again. They're included in the tournament. Michael Jordan is included in the tournament. LeBron James is included in the tournament. And all of this has been determined solely by the fan voting. So we've had a poll for every single matchup from start to finish, and and all the players were broken down into 16 different height regions. There was the 5'10 and under, the 5'11, the 6'0, all the way up through the 7'1 and over um, groups so that we could determine the 16 height champions that we've now arrived at and have the ultimate tournament between the height champions to crown, as voted on by the fans, the best one-on-one player in NBA history. I've been really great, grateful for all the participation that we've gotten throughout this. It's incredible to me that in this last round of voting, we probably averaged a little over 1,000 responses per matchup, which is just an incredible amount of enthusiasm this late into the process. And it helps that the matchups are getting more and more intriguing and that we've arrived at an exciting point in the tournament. But a, a very big thank you to everyone who has made this possible throughout. Yeah, look, it's huge because once you, regardless of what stage of this tournament you're in, like, yes, as you get later, it's a little bit more interesting. But since you're still dealing in just two players, like, it's it's still very niche content. And so the fact that more than a 1,000 people on average were gearing towards those final matchups, it's very impressive. And I thought this was an interesting thought exercise. It was – I making selections just when everyone was involved was exhausting for me. So putting it together had to make you want to cry a little bit. But as we got deeper – It's taken deeper, way more time than I expected, yeah. Right. As you get deeper into it, though, it becomes, like, this really – interesting just thought exercise into you know yes there might just be players that are and this is probably a conversation to have within some of the brackets and talking about the winners yes there might be players who in a vacuum are better but like are they fit for the one-on-one oh, we're, we're gonna get to some of those for sure but I think, I think that's a good segue to just kind of transition. We want to talk about these one height region at a time. Um, I'm going to go over who the champion of that height region is, their path to getting there, and then we'll talk about whether we think they were an appropriate champion and, and what gripes we had with the voting that got us to that point. So if we start in the— uh, Well, do you need the, to contextualize the games at all? You had it as standard pickup rules, right? As yeah, so standard standard pickup rules. The seedings throughout were determined by career win shares. It's not a perfect measure, but we did want some level some level of objectivity um, in those determinations. And then that also allowed for some weird things like Zion Williamson, who's only played 19 games, is not going to fare well in that particular career-long metric, which meant that he had to play Draymond Green in the second round and, and did end up beating Draymond Green. But that's kind of an unfair matchup for Green um, in the second round of this all-time tournament. So we did have some fun some fun quirks like that. But ultimately, these were your standard um, one-on-one games to 21 by twos and ones, make it, take it, call your own fouls. You know, the standard rules apply Even here. Even for James Harden. Even for James Harden. He wow. can call his own fouls, and I kind of think that if he calls any particularly egregious ones, then the next foul won't be so egregious. <laughs> but I am ready if you can take us through the 5'10 and, and under division to start there. 
Yeah, the 510 and under region, as you might expect, was a little bit weak um, just because it, it is difficult to be an, uh, a superstar at that height in the NBA, which is largely a, a game for bigger people. Um, Isaiah Thomas was our champion um, for this region. He beat on the, his path to getting there. He beat Bob Royer, Royer 21 to three, Ralph O'Brien 21 to two, Fred Scolari 21 to three, Avery Johnson 21 to seven, Damon Stoudemire 21 to 10, and then Muggsy Bogues 21 to seven. Um, as you can probably tell from those names, again, not a particularly strong region. Um, I, I think my only gripe, and I'm fine with Thomas as the champion for this region just because he's so offensively talented, was Calvin Murphy not making it further. He lost to Spud Webb in the Elite Eight. Um, I, I thought that was largely a popularity thing because Spud Webb's very diminutive stature lent him a lot of... Uh, recognition and and hype that might have been a little bit undeserved because you know Murphy was so quick he he had great hands great ball handler um, and he was also just a really aggressive defender who didn't hesitate to get up in another player's jersey and I I thought that that he had a, a valid argument to win this region I would I would agree that I, I think Isaiah Thomas is a fine winner I don't really have a gripe with the Calvin Murphy stuff I was a little bit surprised maybe not too Surprised, but I was a little bit surprised that Avery Johnson was just taken over Red Holzman. I thought that I don't know what the exact voting breakdown there was, but I kind of thought that that would have been a, a Holzman pick. Yeah, I think Holzman and a lot of the older players were disadvantaged because our our voting demographic did skew a little younger here. So there were definitely some some recency biases in play here. Um, but but yeah, I mean you're 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 ultimately fine with Isaiah Thomas here, right? Like he's he probably would have been my pick to win if looking at the field. Uh, like I guess maybe Muggsy Bogues you could really talk about a little bit. Maybe Damon Stoudemire was the yeah. other name that stood out. But I think Isaiah Thomas, just particularly knowing the seasons that he had in Boston, just how like in the fact that he was finishing so well against players who were a lot taller than him, I think he would just have a a advantage over players who are about his size. Right. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have had any major qualms with, with him or, or Murphy as, as the champions there. But that region was actually a little bit stronger than 5'11", which historically has just not produced that much NBA talent, apparently. Um, my, my pick going in was, was Terrell Brandon, um, just another ridiculously quick player one of the the most effective between the legs dribblers of all time um i'm fine with him losing because passing was such a big part of his game but he was probably still my pick over ty lawson who was the actual champion and and ty lawson beat sharon collins frank mason carson edwards speedy claxton brandon himself and dj augustine on the path to our our final 16 i think he's definitely the weakest member of that of that group just a guy who was uh, never an all NBA caliber player, which is, it's not something you can say about the other 15 guys we're talking about as a dog barks in the background, real time podcasting right here. Yeah. I, I agree with everything you said there. The only thing that stood out to me too, in this bracket is maybe a little bit, it's not even really egregious, but I would have taken Shane Larkin over DJ Augustine. I think that was the right matchup in that part of the bracket, but I think I would have taken Shane Larkin in a one-on-one situation over DJ Augustine. Interesting. I, I'm curious why on that one, just because Augustine's shooting and general mistake-free offense are, are usually pretty it, reliable. I, but if you take out the rest of the team from that, I just don't know how, right. relative to what we've seen Shane Larkin do, I know he's not this great NBA player, and he's not even in, he wasn't even in the NBA this season. So I understand that, but he seems more adept at 
kind of creating his own shot and where Augustine might be the better player within the team environment, five guys on the court, I think Shane Larkin is the better one-on-one player. That's fair. And yeah, it's 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 funny to me just looking back on all these these thousands of matchups that have happened. Like that those are the ones that we have to kind of home in on in these smaller regions because there wasn't a lot of talent. And that kind of changed once we got into the six foot regions because in in the smallest of those, um, I think that there were cases for Tim Hardaway, for Kyle Lowry, for Kemba Walker to advance and become the champion of the six foot region. But it was kind of always going to be Allen Iverson. Right. I mean, talk about a guy who's who's made for one on one play. He beat David Rivers, Fatty Taylor, Ish Smith, Kevin Porter Jr., Kemba Walker, Mark Price, and Tim Hardaway. So he did knock out two of those primary contenders and did not allow more than four points in any matchup. And the scores were determined by the percentage of the vote that they did get. Yeah. So I, he, he was never even challenged. Right. And so you just look at, though, the like if you just, the names in there. Like Kemba Walker would have been a legitimate name, but it, it just it was always going to be Allen Iverson. And there was just no, no debate there. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess you can be concerned about his, his lack of defense, but the crossover alone i mean like how many how many iconic plays does he have with that move the the crossover and then step over of tyron lu the the crossover of michael jordan during his rookie year it seemed like he got everyone and he had some bounce too yeah and look his game was just made for one-on-one situations that's how he played a ton in his career and it worked so i i don't know how you could necessarily pick anybody else here you can't and fortunately we didn't <laughs> Um, Him facing Mark Price, I thought, was a little bit interesting. Really, Mark Price is one of those guys where I didn't give him as much credit in this format. Yeah, just because the the neutralized passing. Right, but that's what I'm saying. Is like I would have, you know, in his matchup, I would have picked him. Um, I wouldn't have picked oh, him against Jameer Nelson. Uh, you know, so the, I thought him facing him, I wouldn't even have picked him against Trey Burke, to be honest with you. So and I don't think I did pick him against Trey Burke, but he clearly won. So. Shout out to Trey Burke. Yeah, shout out Trey Burke. <laughs> Anytime we can, right? Attention Hardwood Knox listeners. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. 6-1 was was a region where I actually did have a major gripe, not with the winner. Um, The champion from that region was Chris Paul who beat Trevor Ruffin, Terry Rozier, Scott Skiles, Nick Van Exel, Isaiah Thomas, um, the the Pistons' Isaiah Thomas, I should specify, Lou Williams, and John Stockton in the championship match. But I don't think Chris Paul should have played John Stockton in the championship match because I think that Kevin Johnson would destroy him in a one-on-one setting. And I think one of the the funnier interactions that that I had on Twitter during this process were the people who were like, oh yeah, Stockton should beat Chris Paul. Stockton should have easily beaten Kevin Johnson because, you know, look at where he is on the all-time assist leaderboard and stuff. And it's like, whoa, like, who's he passing to here? I think that that Kevin Johnson versus John Stockton matchup is is the first, like, really good example 
of how one player is obviously superior from a historical standpoint when talking about actual NBA games. But then when we talk about it in this setting, everything kind of shifts a little bit. I'm also going to tell you right now, John Stockton, in my eyes, would not have beat Patty Mills. One-on-one. I actually, I, I picked Patty Mills also. So so did I. I'm Just his game. Like, his a great player, but, like, one-on-one was just really not his game. Didn't right. Have, I mean, like, the he's known for dude, running pick and rolls right. and passing. Unless, like, was Carmelo Malone, like, coming out of the stands and just – was there a cheat code in this that we didn't know about? I was – I guess because the name recognition is there, but I thought, like, once you got into – like I guess the idea of picking a Langston Galloway over John Stockton is ridiculous, but I picked Patty Mills without hesitation over John Stockton. That wasn't something that I I really double taked about. Yeah, it's like the two the two player archetypes that I think were kind of given too much credit are those pass first point guards because again, like you you have to create your own shots here, and then the defense only big men. Like I picked Ben Wallace and Bill Russell to lose pretty early because they weren't offensive juggernauts right and it's the same with like dennis rodman like he ultimately is gonna have to get to 21 points but we'll get to, we'll get to those um would are, you have are, picked... you were fine with chris paul winning yeah absolutely the only th- with would john stockton have beaten rondo i struggled with that one i don't even remember um, who i picked there maybe i didn't fill that one out but i think i picked stockton there still just because i don't have confidence in rondo's scoring ability and i feel like he would like he would get to the hoop and just get confused that he had to shoot and <laughs> right. just end up passing to someone in the stands right i'm with you because we do have fans in attendance for these games <laughs> fake fans but fans nonetheless shack cutouts in fact are we on to the 6-2 region yet yeah the 6-2 one was tough um, I, I thought that, that World Be Free, Jerry West, Derek Rose, and Kyrie Irving all deserved a lot of love. But I also think that we got it right with, uh, with Damian Lillard as the champion of this region. He beat Dominique Presley, Dan Anderson, Seth Curry, Gerald Henderson, Vinnie Johnson, Jason Terry, and then Jerry West and Kyrie Irving, both in really close matchups that seemed like they could have gone either way in the voting. Um, was was Lillard your pick as well here? Yeah, Lillard was my pick, and he was kind of the one I gravitated toward. I think you can give legitimate consideration to Jerry West would probably be the guy I might pick second, but Damian Lillard, just the way he plays now, I feel like he maybe he wouldn't waltz to the championship here, but I thought he was the obvious choice. Yeah, I mean, Irving's ball handling skills are just legitimately legendary, and are he's going to create whatever he wants against Lillard, but he's still ultimately relying on making tough shots. And I, I don't know that Dame necessarily has to do that against Irving's defense because he's also a really skilled ball handler, probably a, a better shooter from the perimeter with more range, and he's just more physical. And I think for me, like a lot of these close matchups became contests between skill and physicality, and I tended to gravitate a little more towards the physicality side of the spectrum. I would love to see that matchup in real life, though. Oh, that would one be on, so like, much fun. One of, the, one of the absolute most fun possible matchups. I have uh, a question for you. Were you the only one who was voting on Monte Morris's bracket? <laughs> Monte Morris made it surprisingly far, and it wasn't because I was voting 10,000 times. I, d- I limited myself to one vote per matchup, even when it was possible to do more when we were still in the Google Form stage. And yeah, Morris like kept winning, and it kept making me really happy. And I also had no idea why it was happening. I'm just I'm not convinced that you weren't the only one who voted. I know that you weren't because I remember voting on him to lose. I think I voted on him to lose against Charlie Ward, uh, and I might have even voted on him to lose against Jordan Farmar as well. 
Right. I, I thought that Charlie Ward definitely. I'm pretty sure I voted for Charlie Ward in that one, as much as it like killed my soul to do it a little bit. That's very off-brand for you. Was there anything? Look, agree- Monte Morris does not have a Heisman Trophy. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> was there anything that stood out to you as egregious in this? Not really. I thought this was a region that that went pretty well. Um, that the the favorites did end up making it pretty far. Uh, it, it was just. It was kind of a bloodbath at the end where you get Derek Rose playing against Kyrie Irving and, and you get Kyrie Irving playing against Damian Lillard. It was like the, the best players did did emerge as the ones who knocked each other out, which was good to see. I'm with you. Now in 6-3, though, I did have a major gripe. First, I'll, I'll say that the champion was Steph Curry. Um, he beat Howie Janata, Juan Dixon, Bino Udry, John Lucas, Rod Strickland, Bradley Beal, Steve Nash, and Russell Westbrook. And only the Westbrook match was particularly close. Um, But he was not even in my top two to to win this region. Are they like, if people took it as, imagine what Steve Nash could do if he shot more and like took it upon, like, and he's forced to do it? Like, are you allowed to think in those terms? Because that's been... I know a lot of people have thought it now. What happened if Steve Nash decided to shoot 15 to 20 times a game? And in this situation, he kind of has to. But if we're going to penalize a John Stockton and say that he shouldn't have made it as far as he did, I I think that same logic could apply to Steve Nash. I agree with you. And that's why Nash was not one of my two picks over Steph. And that's not to diminish Steph's skills as a one-on-one player. Like, I think he's pretty underrated there just because, for whatever reason, the 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 reputation that he's still a, a shoddy defender persists, but one on one defense is like kind of his strength because he has a strong base, he has quick hands, he has good instincts. He's not going to be able to fall asleep in those off ball situations. But still, I thought that uh, that that Sidney Moncrief was was actually my pick to win this region. Um, a defensive player of the year at six three, a guy who could easily score over twenty points per game, physical, quick, good shooter. He he had all the tools that I wanted in a one-on-one match, but he lost to Steve Nash, which I, I thought he got kind of screwed in that voting, maybe because of name recognition, maybe because people weren't valuing um, defense and, and were overvaluing Nash's offense with, with the passing contributions. Uh, but yeah, Moncrief was my pick. And I also gave a lot of consideration to Darren Williams, who seemed like in his prime, like his, his peak years with the Utah jazz, he seemed like another one of those ideal one-on-one players just a devastatingly quick crossover um a a big a big 6-3 frame and and knew how to leverage that physicality on both ends like he seemed like a guy who was primed to to do really well in this style of play but couldn't get past russell westbrook yeah that's a good point i didn't have looking at it i didn't have any major gripes about it although i know that i voted for steve francis over gilbert arenas that one's clearly debatable, but I still think that was that, a tough one to pick. I still think Steve Francis would have prevailed in that one. Yeah, I mean his his peak years before everything crashed down after he got overpaid by the Knicks. Like one of how many how many players have been overpaid by the Knicks now? Um, you did know, they even pay him? I thought they just traded for him. Did they? I thought they I thought they extended him and then he declined. But I could be misremembering that. You could be remembering that problem. I'm going to look that up while you're talking about the next region. But yeah, Prime Steve Francis. Look, I still love the photos of him and Stefan Marbury just being on the Knicks together. Like, that was a thing that actually happened for New York basketball. Totally not on topic here, but... And is it any wonder that they struggled to survive after that? <laughs> no, it's not. Um, but yeah, he was just traded to the Knicks. There was nothing about okay. an extension there, so... Well, 
I retract that statement, but I maintain that, that they Francis did was technically overpay him a because he, was, fault. he yeah. was on a bad contract and they, they traded for him. So I'll give myself partial credit. Um, but yeah, moving on to the six, four region. Um, this was a weird one because even with Gary Payton, Jason Kidd, Walt Frazier, and David Thompson, and, and maybe even Sam Jones, if you want to throw in the old school name there, this always felt like Dwayne Wade's region to lose. And it just felt like he was going to steamroll his way through anyone and everyone he faced. And, and lo and behold, that's what happened. He beat Talon Horton Tucker, Terrence Davis, Fred Jones, Brian Winters, Coutinho Mobley, Sam Jones, Jason Kidd, and Gary Payton um, to to emerge into our group of 16. And the only player who scored double digits against him was Gary Payton, which I, I, I think is appropriate. Yeah, this was – I when you look at it and you see that Dwayne Wade pops up, I don't know who would you have expected to to beat him. Like I just don't – I don't know what comes up. I, I am interested though to see – I think it was Wall ended up losing to Gary Payton unless I'm reading that incorrectly. That's not – No, some, you're correct. Yeah. That's not something that I would have chosen. I did pick Payton in that matchup. You did? Uh, yeah, just the defense is too good. It, I mean just – he had the glove nickname for a reason. He locked down a lot of guys. It's like you know, <laughs> I hate to talk about – the last dance's shortcomings again but like he did he did kind of stifle jordan a little bit when the sonics and the bulls played in the finals for like one game a couple of games maybe like one and a half games yeah but i think it's telling that they switched the defensive assignments and had him be the primary cover and all of a sudden jordan declines and if he can at least slow down jordan regardless of what was happening outside outside the lines for jordan like he's going to slow down pretty much everyone. I'm going to let you know, I picked three people over him. Oladipo, John Wall, and, and Walt Frazier. You I picked, picked Oladipo over Peyton? Yeah. Also, and Jason Kidd would not have beaten Jamal Murray in real life. I just want to make no, that clear. No, he would, he would not have. That was egregious. That was more egregious than the Peyton stuff. But the Peyton stuff bothered me because he had three legitimate chances to lose in matchups, all of which I thought he would lose, and he ended up winning all of them. And it wasn't even close. The closest one in that you have it listed here was John Wall, twenty-one to thirteen. That's not close enough for me. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. They should have been closer, but I, I did. I did have Peyton winning all of those and then losing to Wade, which is what happened. Yeah, I'm not okay with it, but I, I think Wade, Wade winning had it been if Gary Payton would have won like the championship, yeah, I would, I would have been pretty PO'd. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair, but yeah, it did. It did feel like Wade was kind of a foregone conclusion at six four, and and we kind of saw the same thing happen in the six five region, where like I I have I have notes for each of these um, just to make sure I don't forget about matchups and stuff. My note here says Harden was never going to lose this one, and it's true. I mean, he beat Deontay Christmas, Andy Johnson, Contavious Caldwell Pope, Derek Anderson, Shea Gilgis Alexander, John Havlicek, Oscar Robertson, and Ray Allen, and like those are some big names. Like, even Gilgis Alexander is a tough matchup and, and doesn't come anywhere close to, to Havlicek, Robertson, and, and prime Ray Allen back with probably with the Milwaukee Bucks is what I would consider his true peak as an individual. But, I, like, Harden I, is made for this. Yeah, I would say, one, people definitely undervalued prime Ray Allen in this. Harden 21-8, to eight, I don't think it would be that uh, big of a miss on Allen's behalf. I also found it interesting that the Oscar Robinson matchup with James Harden was so close, 21-17, to 17. Um, but Shea Gilgis-Alexander, 21-4, Harden. And then Ray Allen again, 21-8. I, 
I would have thought both those players would have ended up being closer to Harden. Not wouldn't have would have won, but I would have thought that those matchups would have been closer than the Oscar Robinson one. Yeah, I do. I do wonder a little bit just about the validity of the scores. Ultimately, I wanted to have scores in this, and they were determined by the percentage of vote people got. But you know, if you think that Harden is going to beat Oscar Robertson twenty-one to twenty, or if you think he's going to beat him twenty-one to zero, you ultimately clicked the same button. And so I think that you know the scores are definitely a little bit misleading. Um, yeah, but we still. actually right, right, <laughs> and I think. I think the biggest example of that is actually in the 6-6 region, if I can move on to that one. And it was the championship matchup between Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. I mean, they've talked about how you know Kobe is one of the few players that might be able to beat Jordan in a one-on-one game. And essentially, like Kobe modeled his entire game after Jordan. He was the closest thing we've seen to like the the, the comparable version of Michael Jordan, just worse in about every area by a small amount. So that probably leads to a close one-on-one matchup. But if everyone is picking Jordan by a slim margin, that still results in the score that we had, which was Jordan 21, Kobe 7, which I think is a little bit misleading. I did not give the Jordan-Kobe matchup that much thought, though. I just picked Jordan because I think that that's what it would end up being. So who knows really there. But this was another region... Where even though the final matchup, the Kobe Jordan makes sense, I don't think it was ever in doubt that MJ was going to come out on top in this situation. No, definitely not. And he beat Bill Chamberlain, Reggie Bullock, Quentin Richardson, Calvin Natt, Jamal Wilkes, Chris Mullen, Vince Carter, and Kobe Bryant along the way. Um, My only real qualm in this region was with Zion Williamson, who made it to the Sweet 16 and then lost 21-12 to Vince Carter. I, I don't think that's how that matchup would have gone. You know, Vince was amazing at his peak. Zion's only played 19 games. But I just, I have trouble believing that many 6'6 guys are going to be able to slow him down. Can Zion dribble well enough to make that matchup work, though? I mean, does it matter when you can dunk from half court? <laughs> we're, we're not playing Space Jam rules here, though. Like, he's not just <laughs> stretching. And I would say, what'd you say? It was twenty one sixteen. That's close enough to twenty one twelve. Oh, twenty one twelve. Right. It probably could have been a little bit closer, but I picked Vince in that matchup. I was more. I thought what was more egregious is why was uh, Rip Hamilton losing to Andre Godala? That's not something that should have happened. No. Yeah. The the from scratch creation there matters a lot. I, I agree with you. Even even though Igadala in his peak years with the Sixers was a pretty good scorer. It was still like transition buckets and cuts and slashes as opposed to Hamilton who worked a lot with the ball in his hands. And I, I, you know, the the method in which we're scoring points definitely matters in this. I'm with you. Are we able to move on to six, seven now? Yeah, let's keep breezing through these because we want to get to our picks for sure. Um, So the six, seven champion was Kawhi Leonard. Um, I I believe that he was the lowest seed 25th to, uh, to make the, the the final 16 he beat randolph keys tony campbell greg bollard alex english jimmy butler reggie miller joe johnson and luka Doncic in the finals to uh become the champion of that region and you know my my only real qualm here was, was that luka made it that far no disrespect to Doncic, who is amazing you know a 21 year old who's already like a legitimate um back of the ballot mvp candidate who's already pushing the mavericks into the playoffs <laughs> The implicit shade back of the ballot MVP candidate. Well, there are only so many spots on the MVP ballot, and you're not putting him in the top two, are you? No, I'm just finding it funny. 
He's still on the ballot. He's not top five for me this I just, season. But I, I hesitate. I hesitate to call him an MVP candidate when no one's going to vote him in first place. You could say fringe MVP candidate. You said back of the ballot was pretty dismissive. I actually meant that more as a compliment than fringe MVP candidate. But I apologize. All of a sudden, Jokic comes back skinny, and you're just taking shots at Luka Doncic left <laughs> and right, out of control. I do. But agree, anyway, I, I do agree with your overarching point on Doncic. I did not have him beating. Paul Pierce, Julius Irving, or Clyde Drexler, all of whom no, he beat. No, shouldn't have. And yeah. the matchups were, you said the scores don't matter, but indicative of the scores is that people had a tough time deciding uh, between those. So I get that, but there's no way in three consecutive close matchups, I don't think he should have won all three of those. And his, look, his game is just, it's better suited to five on five to me. I know he has the step back, but he, doesn't yet, he doesn't yet hit that at a high enough clip for it to be everything. And even we've seen him in crunch time where I'm thinking way too much into this, but some of the complaints have been that he really just needs to to vary his functionality there. And so do I think in time, could he have won this division or at least deserve to be the finalist? Absolutely. But yeah, I'm with you. He made it too far this time around. And, and shout out to Mavericks Reddit and the other Mavericks accounts that really pushed voting for Luca and, and got him through. Like, I guess we appreciate the engagement there even if it created some slightly unrealistic results. Yeah, so uh, would you do you think that Kawhi Leonard should have won this division? Yes. Yep. Yeah, I think that he is... I, I actually don't have any problems with people who want to pick him to win it all. And that's going to mean beating Michael Jordan in his next matchup. He's not a better basketball player than Michael Jordan, but he might be like the player in NBA history who is best designed for a one-on-one battle. You know, like, where are you going to get a better combination of from-scratch scoring and pure, true lockdown defensive ability? If we can get even more granular than the... uh, Well, actually, that podcast hasn't dropped yet, so spoiler alert. But we had talked about who would you want in the NBA to... If you were doing one game, Let's who would you want to, to be your best player in that situation? I'll even... Let's take it even more granular. If you had... One possession, and you need a score on. In I'm just today's NBA. Who would you want having the ball? And I still think it's just a conversation between LeBron or Kawhi at this point. A healthy Kevin Durant obviously gets thrown into there, but I, I James Harden, yeah, James Harden. But I I think it's I might even lean towards Kawhi in that situation. Entire game maybe still LeBron for me, but one possession might be Kawhi. I will say I was disappointed that he had to end up facing Jimmy Butler so early, and that the. Agreed. And that people, I think, I don't know that Kawhi Leonard is the obvious choice there for me. Uh, I, I did vote for Kawhi, but it was people didn't seem like they hesitated on the Kawhi pick. And it would have I would have rather seen like a Jimmy Butler-Kawhi Finals matchup than, I, than Doncic-Kawhi is just where I'm at. Right. And if you wanted to pick Julius Irving to win this region, that's fine. You know, he was just so ridiculously athletic and an underrated defender. Um, yeah, he, he definitely had the all-around game where I'm, I'm fine with that pick, but... And, and I have him well above Kawhi Leonard in all-time rankings of careers and stuff. But in a one-on-one setting, like, Leonard was still the pretty easy pick for me. I think there's more controversy looking at the 6-8 region, though. The 6-8 region had my absolute favorite match of the entire tournament. Um, it came a little bit too early for my liking, um, but it was between Tracy McGrady and Scottie Pippen. Uh, McGrady ended up winning that one 21 to 20 on route to the championship. Um, he beat Mark Randall, Jason Caffey, George McGinnis, Trevor Ariza, Ed McCauley, Pippen, Carmelo Anthony, and Dominique Wilkins. Um, 
that was the match of the tournament, though. Like, what do you do with the do-everything superstar that was Scottie Pippen against that Orlando Magic, maybe Houston Rockets-era T-Mac who could score in any situation against anyone? I maintain that 2003-2004 T-Mac was as good offensively as we've ever seen a small forward play basketball. And that's that's why he was my pick to beat Pippen and to emerge from this region. But it did feel like you know, Grant Hill, who somehow lost to Dominique Wilkins 21-20, um, Mello, Pippen, and T-Mac would have all been valid choices. Yeah, I I didn't actually struggle with that matchup as much as you did. I remember you texting uh, me about it. I, I But I, I get where you're coming from. I just view, like, Scottie Pippen in the same terms. I think his game is just better suited on offense to 5-on-5. Five five. But I guess the defensive weight... If you factor that in, then that that's certainly going to matter. I was a little bit disappointed. I thought Carmelo Anthony was going to end up winning this uh, d- this bracket I th- division, and I actually still think that he should have. But if you're going to take like T Mac was the better all around offensive player at his peak, but Carmelo but Mello was made for one on one, right? Yeah. Like Melo is his like he is one on one. Like that's the uh, so I was a little bit surprised that he ended up losing to to Tracy McGrady. If you play like a seven-game series between T-Mac and Melo, Melo's definitely going to at least extend the series because he's going to go on these heaters where just jab-step, jab-step, swish. Gets the ball back, jab-step, jab-step, swish. And Melo in the post, too, against T-Mac? Like, I feel like that's a mismatch for for Melo. So I wasn't it wasn't egregious, but it was a little bit surprising to me. Like I said, Grant Hill, Melo, Pippen, T-Mac would have been fine with any of those four emerging from this region. Um that said, that foursome was not as strong as the ridiculous Final Four in the 6-9 region. Uh, we had LeBron James versus Larry Bird and Magic Johnson versus Carl Malone in the semifinals of the 6-9 region. LeBron ended up winning it, which I don't think should surprise anyone. He beat Warren Kidd, Toby Knight, Tristan Thompson, Robert Ori, Chris Webber, Sam Perkins, Larry Bird, and Magic Johnson en route to that title. Um None of those matchups were actually that close. Bird scored eight points on him, and that was the most that anyone did. Um, but this was this was just a stacked region that still felt like it had a foregone conclusion. It definitely felt like it had a foregone conclusion. Do you think that Magic Johnson would have held up better in theory, though, against LeBron James than the voters made it seem? Yes. That, because LeBron won in an absolute landslide. Yes. I, I 100% think that that would have been far closer, even without... I mean, you, you take away both of their passing ability. Like, you, you, can, you can make a case that those are the two most gifted passers we've ever seen. So if we negate both of those skills, I mean, let's not forget that prime Magic Johnson jumped center in the NBA Finals as a rookie, that he was one of the most gifted scorers, both in transition and the half court, even without a convincing jumper. Uh, like, he, he was definitely a guy who is going to thrive in this one-on-one setting. And yes, I picked LeBron to beat him, but that would have been a battle. I agree with you. The other thing I wanted to point out, I I did not vote for him. I really do think that Karl Malone would have lost to Blake Griffin when they were in the Elite Eight. I struggled with that one. Uh, Malone's just so strong. Cool. Griffin is going to be the guy who could do better dribbling. Maybe it's just because his career has been so marred by injuries that it's tough to envision prime Blake Griffin. Or maybe you envision prime Blake Griffin as someone who can't dribble because of just the the Lob City era. But he, just as what he's done off the dribble over the past like few years or so when he has been healthy, I would have. I think that he gets more 
just from face-ups and without anyone else on the court, I think he ends up getting more out of this matchup than Karl Malone does, who, if this was two-on-two, maybe i pick whatever team Malone is on. And then, obviously, from there out, three-on-three, four-on-four, five-on-five. But I picked Blake Griffin, and I did put thought into it, but I think that I honestly do believe that Blake Griffin would have had Karl Malone. Yeah, I I mean, I think that's another one of those compelling matchups that happened a little too early in the tournament for my liking. It would have been nice if we got to give a little bit more publicity to those kind of battles, but it is what it is. The 610 region. The 610 region, it kind of felt like KD and AD were on a collision course (laughs) the whole time in this one. And that's what ended up happening in the finals. We had Kevin Durant beating Anthony Davis in a landslide, which is probably appropriate because Durant's offensive game is just ridiculous. And he beat James Lang, Cristiano Felicio, Kendrick Perkins, Emeka Okafor, Lamar Odom, Kevin McHale, Bill Russell, and Davis um, to get that title. I think my only real complaint was that Russell made it so far. And that's in no way meant as disrespect to one of the greatest champions in the sports history who is one of the 10 greatest basketball players that we've ever seen. But like his game was not meant for this scenario. He was a team player. He was a team defender. He was a team scorer. And like he had scoring chops. We saw that in college. We saw it when he occasionally had to, to score 20 points per game for the Celtics. But like, would he have beaten Sam Lacey? Probably not. Would he have beaten Sean Kemp? Almost definitely not. And then I had trouble with him beating Rasheed Wallace um, and, 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 and then losing to Kevin Durant. But I thought he should have been out of it a little bit sooner. Yeah, Kemp or Lacey seems like the matchup that he would have lost. Definitely Kemp. I felt kind of felt the same way about Dwight Howard. I don't think that he would have beaten... Uh, he To get into the Final Four, he beat Alonzo Mourning and Prime Boogie. That's the one that stands out most to me. I think Prime Boogie takes that matchup in close to a runaway. Because even if you're going with Prime Dwight Howard, he's been neutralized because there's just there's no such thing as diving to the basket anymore for him. And yes, he could kind of post up, but what's how is he going to... He can't... First of all, he's not going to do a ton of other stuff on offense. Then on defense, Boogie just has the, that like nimble footing, that footwork, um, not only in the post, but from the face-up spots too. And so I really thought that the, the matchup would have just been flip-flop, basically, where it wasn't necessarily a blowout, but that DeMarcus Cousins kind of wins it decidedly, and yet it was it was Howard. So him making it to the Final Four kind of rubbed me the wrong way. I actually had Boogie losing earlier than that. I had him uh, I had him going down to Danilo Gallinari fairly early on. Um, you know, Gallo does not have the heft to, to guard Boogie, but he's going to make a bunch of three-pointers, and he's another guy who's like a, a capable three-level scorer, and I think that that his shooting stroke and his ability to get shots off against anyone would really have benefited here. And that was a fairly close matchup. I mean, 21 to 12, we, we've seen how few of these matchups do feature both players in double digits. So I was happy that he got some love there. But yeah, I did have him beating Cousins. It, look, if it was Gallinari that came out of that, I, I think even Ben Simmons might have beaten Cousins. All of them would have beaten Dwight Howard. Horace Grant, too. <laughs> Throw him in there as well. What do you Maybe- have against Dwight Howard? I have nothing against Dwight Howard, who was fantastic in his prime, and congratulations to him for rebooting his career in Los Angeles. Kudos to him for speaking out on um, the police brutality and the racial injustice stuff as the NBA is trying to decide whether it wants to, well, it hasn't decided, but as the NBA is trying to get underway and players are talking about whether they should even report to Disney World, kudos to all of it. But his offensive game, even at the peak, was just 
inherently limited compared to many of the players that he could have faced here and did face, Boogie being one of them, but also maybe you could argue because of Ben Simmons' lack of a jumper and not being able to leverage his playmaking that Dwight could take that one, but even I have a tough time even believing that. I'm going to take the face-up scorer who's more comfortable dribbling while facing the basket um, than I am over the, the post-up guy. And look, Dwight had some kind of like spin cycles that he could go through when he was closer to the basket, but those are just going to be a little bit harder to convert in my mind when you aren't when you can't leverage you know shooters around you and the thought of him kicking out to someone else and so i just don't think dwight howard is built for one-on-one unless you're going just like true bigs and true bigs which it wasn't here they were in the 610 division there were plenty of guys um in the bracket that he could have faced that i think better fit this model and that would have been ben simmons it would have been gallo it would have been horace grant Richon Holmes, he probably beats. I'll give him that. He probably beats Richon Holmes if he comes out of that that part of the Look, bracket. I'm I'm just saying I th- I think you're selling Dwight a little bit short here. Back in like 2009, when he was working extensively with Patrick Ewing, um, when they were both affiliated with the Orlando Magic, he developed like one post move. Uh, you're you're actually slandering Dwight. I'm I'm tr- I'm just saying that he's not suited for for this setup. No, he's not. And I'm he's just not. I'm surprised that he made it as far as he did the final four was i thought a reach yeah i i that was a gripe for me but the biggest gripe of all came in the 611 region for me um tim duncan is our champion here he beat pero Antich, billy paltz greg monroe nene bill lambeer Giannis antetokounmpo and kevin garnett and i have so many problems with each of those last two matchups <laughs> this absolutely should have been either Giannis or KG coming out of it and probably Giannis. Um, yeah. Duncan, Duncan is another of the 10 best, greatest basketball players of all time. But he was like the epitome of the team first five on five contributor. He didn't really guard on the perimeter. He didn't really create for himself from the perimeter. He was a phenomenal mid-range shooter and post artist and interior defender, the master of the bank shot, the big fundamental. He never seemed to make mistakes on either end of the court. But like, that's not exactly what you want in a one-on-one game. You want a guy like Giannis who's going to spin his way past you and then dunk all over you and defend his heart out everywhere in the half court set. You want a guy like KG who's comfortable bringing the ball up in transition, who's capable of running the show from the top of the key, who has the lateral quickness and mobility to guard everywhere. Like it seemed like one of those two unicorns should have been the pick here. And I get why people respect Duncan. And I'm glad that the matchups were at least close. He only beat Giannis 21-20. He only beat Kevin Garnett 21-18. He should have lost both of those decisively. I looked at this bracket. I hate slandering Tim Duncan. I know. But Tim Duncan is one of my favorite players of all time. Same. This is uh, killing me that I have to say this, but I do. Right. If I built an NBA Mount Rushmore of just players that I love, Tim Duncan is on it. So I want to make that clear. I looked at this bracket, though, and viewed it as Giannis's to just take. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he didn't. I, I know you're talking about I do think Dun- uh, Garnett would have beaten Duncan. But I just don't think that the Atentacupo-Duncan matchup would have been all that close. I also don't think that Garnett... Atentacuba would have been really that close either. And so even Garnett yeah. even Garnett's peak just didn't have the the face up uh weaponry that Giannis Atentacupo does. So but Tim Duncan beating beating Giannis, that one's rough. And so it's we're not re- we weren't going by careers here. It was supposed to be in the one on one context, and I think that 
my guess would be got lost upon some people or Spurs fans just flocked to this matchup in droves. And I, I don't even think that's to say that Duncan would be a bad one-on-one player. Not in this I mean, division. He's still, he's still going to score a bunch just with the creativity, with the with the the fundamental ex- excellence that he always displayed. It's even hard to pick a peak for Duncan. I mean, are you taking his early years alongside David Robinson? Are you taking him in 2004? Are you taking him later in his career when he was more of a center and, and just a, a dominant in- interior defender? Um, but none of those peaks rose rose high enough to to overcome the the stylistic shortcomings here at least for me and the voters disagreed the other thing and this wasn't it definitely wasn't a snub because the matchup itself was close but i would have taken carl anthony towns over lamarcus aldridge in the final like in the in the elite eight yeah i i didn't have a problem i I think a lot of people actually had some gripes i saw with with carl anthony towns making it as far as he did largely because to get there he had to beat bill walton um, I didn't have an issue with that at all. I mean, I think you can make a convincing argument that Towns is already one of the most talented offensive bigs ever. Yeah, he uh, has to be one of the, I would say one of the five, seven most talented bigs in offensive bigs in NBA history. Like, he, he's got to be there. But yes, I thought that he should have been the, uh, I thought he should have played Kevin Garnett to get into the finals. Um, and it was a shame that he lost to LaMarcus Aldridge in a 21-20 to match. We are getting close to the end here. Let's get to the six twelve division. Do you see what I did there? I did see what you did there, that and I actually fight. almost said five twelve when I was first going over the regions, <laughs> but that would have been an accident rather than yours, which is clearly on purpose. I did have another complaint in this one because I, I did not have Dirk Nowitzki, another of my favorite players of all time. I did not have him Beating winning Rich this region. Kelly. I get it. You know, I, I had him barely beating Rich Kelly. I also had him over Boniface and Dong, Stephen Hunter, Chris Kamen, um, and Brooke Lopez. But then I started to have some issues. I don't think that Dirk's going to beat Patrick Ewing. Um, Ewing was was just too great a defender um, and, and had just too much heft for Dirk. And I certainly did not have him beating Hakeem Olajuwon in the finals. I thought Olajuwon was going to run away with his region. I, I'm not as skewed towards uh, the runaway status for, for Hakeem as you are, but I do think that Dirk should have lost to both Ewing and Hakeem. The, I, look, there, it's impossible, but if there was just a way to take Joel Embiid, um, go back in time to prime Hakeem, and just have those two go at each other, I would pay so much money to watch that. That was a matchup that I was surprised Hakeem took so so handedly. I get it, and I did pick Hakeem, but I, I thought there might have been more of a split there where people actually not considering Embiid, but actually voting for him. I almost wonder if it was similar to the Jordan Kobe thing, where they're just so stylistically similar, but one player is slightly better in most areas that it looked like a runaway, even if a lot of people thought it would have been a closer matchup. Yeah, that's a good point. That's my hope, at least. But I'm with you. Where Look, and I know that Dirk can do a lot of the stuff that I value within this. But so can Akeem. And even Patrick Ewing. Like, prime Patrick Ewing was, like, he was nimble. He was quick. So He was a problem. Snort emoji. Yeah. They're a caps lock problem. Come on, Adam. I I wasn't quite willing to go there. (laughs) His knees were a caps lock problem. (laughs) That's true. But, yeah, so Dirk coming out of this, I don't think it's, like, this major upset. But I definitely, I believe I voted for Ewing in the Dirk matchup. I'm not necessarily remembering. But I definitely voted for Akeem over Dirk. Yeah, yeah. And then our final of the 16 regions was the 7-1 and up. Um, you mean 6-13, Shaquille, but carry on. 
the 613 and up region. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal won this one. He beat um, Ojanan Kuzmich, Luke Longley, Roy Hibbert, and then faced an absolute gauntlet. Went through Yao Ming 21 to 4, went through Wilt Chamberlain 21 14, and then beat Kareem Abdul Jabbar 21 to 17 in the finals. I think we need to give a shout out to David Robinson, too, who fell to Kareem Abdul Jabbar a little earlier, but Shaq was the right choice, I think, even even against that just gauntlet of all-timers. Yeah, the only debate like within looking at like some of the finalists would be should David Robinson have beaten Kareem, which he obviously did not. Uh, I did pick Kareem, but I could really see a case for David Robinson in that matchup. What I do think people forget, and this is coming from someone who like wasn't really or didn't like wasn't this huge NBA fan when Shaq was in Orlando. I was super young and just like wasn't into the game at that level. I was watching the Knicks because I'm an idiot, but he is, and when this is what gets me, when people say that Joel Embiid is a chance to be like one of the most dominant players in NBA history, if not the most dominant, which is different from best, that is Shaq's title, and I have yet to see anyone that can maybe possibly come close to being as dominant as Shaquille O'Neal was. And there are a ton of things that go into him maybe not ranking higher up um, in the NBA's all-time pecking order in general, why Michael Jordan is clearly ahead of him, why... Um, LeBron James to me is clearly ahead of him. There is the the conditioning factor there. There's like sort of him. He just didn't have that same longevity necessarily as many of these other guys did. Like a LeBron, if he's going to be pitted against him, he is the. And I didn't. Again, I'm not even talking about the heart of Shaq's prime. I'm saying I saw him like towards the tail end of his time with the Lakers is where I really like. Those are my most vivid memories of Shaq. Remembering him with the Heat, even for a blink with Phoenix, he is the most dominant player by a light year that and more that I have ever seen and even just watching highlights of that I think the NBA will ever see. And unless Zion becomes like this really crafty guy um, in the post, I still don't know that I just can't even fathom someone coming close to touching what Shaquille O'Neal actually was. Guys used to just bounce off him. Like, I don't think that people really fully understand that. They just Is it bad that I him. think Giannis can get to that level of dominance in a different way? <sighs> Look, He's like already not as been purely like, physically dominant, but when you throw in this, the, the skill, and that's not to say that Shaq wasn't skilled. I mean, I think he's one of the more underrated post-passers that we've seen, just as, as an example. And not all of his points came off dunks, even though he overpowered anyone. But like, I, I feel like Giannis has a chance to get into that category. Oof, I would probably strongly disagree. Something would need to change with his offense for me. I don't, not that he would need to get a jumper, but like we need to see, like he has been, or his team has been neutralized on offense in the half court during playoff series in part because of him. Like even if he's going to be able to get his, um, there's just the way that he goes about it. He's definitely more versatile than Shaq. And I understand kind of uh, the defensive factor. There's more diversification there as well. But Shaq was just actually unstoppable at points and I've we haven't yet really seen that from Giannis in these playoff settings and look maybe he gets there he's still really young but I would need to see unless he's going to all of a sudden um, bust out this consistent jumper we know he's cap- uh, he's comfortable of taking them is he going to be more capable of hitting them as time goes on maybe but it has to be that or just something else I can't I don't know that I could put him on the same level as Shaq but look I don't think it's I don't think it's ridiculous to say but I actually am probably in the the camp of strongly disagreeing with you there I I, I accept that but but bringing it back to the tournament I, I went into this region thinking like 
Okay, if you want to pick Wiltz, if you want to pick Kareem, if you want to pick David Robinson, sure, I get it. There are arguments to be made for those players. But then the more I thought about it, and the more I, I, I went back and watched some of these these peak Shaq highlights, which to me was Magic Era, even, right, even sure. before he joined the Lakers, um, I, I just I couldn't get past the, the feeling that, that he was kind of inevitable in this region. He was he was Thanos, but successful. Dwight Howard is jealous. <laughs> no, the, Thanos is Dwight Howard's idol. But yeah, so he probably is is jealous. But yeah, I think you look at this and even you look at some of the star power within this division. And obviously the field was just, it was more open in the sense that you had more height variants. But I, there was no one that I ever considered in this that I, I thought could beat Shaq in a, in a one-on-one setting. I just didn't see it. Agreed. Agreed. So now that we've run through those 16 champions, where, where we're going from here in the tournament, we have them sorted so that players are going to start out playing players of a similar height and eventually we'll have the the championship to end all championships so we have the 510 and under champion playing the 511 champion first and then the winner of that will play the winner of six foot and six foot one um or as dan likes to say five foot 13 um so we we want to go through and give our picks on the matchups yet to come sort of as a preview of, of the actual polls that will will soon be released on the NBA Math Twitter account. So how how do you want to go through this? Uh, do you just want to start with let's just go up in size? Go for we'll go increasing order. Let's do it. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna write these down just so I don't forget who we each picked. So Isaiah Thomas or Ty Lawson? It here, not even really a a big. I don't think it's even close. Lawson yeah. is obviously the the weak link of our sixteen, the beneficiary of a a very weak five eleven region, and and Thomas is just going to torch him, especially if we convince him it's the fourth quarter. <laughs> exactly. The next one's interesting though. Next one's interesting, and it's Allen Iverson versus Chris Paul. I have Chris Paul. I have I have Iverson. There's I think Iverson's offense is probably better one on one overall, but. When you look at CP3's defense, and then he has just some heft to him on offense where he's not going to be able just to hit those like stop and pop mid range jumpers, but like he could overpower Iverson if, if he gets down low. And so I think there's just a little bit more just dynamic, like there, his game is more dynamic to me. And I think that it doesn't always matter in these settings, but I think it's dynamic enough that he, he ends up edging out Iverson or should. I don't actually think he will in the voting, but Chris Paul is my pick. I Chris Paul might be my favorite player ever. So it's another one where it, it pains me to pick against him. But I, I remain convinced that that Allen Iverson, if you put him on a team where maybe Aaron Snow isn't the second best player or something like that, you know, <laughs> uh, that he might actually have enough energy to to use his his hands and, and his quick feet to to be a better defender. I don't think that he necessarily has to be the defensive liability that he sometimes was in real life in this hypothetical tournament. And I just, I don't think anyone's slowing down that offensive game unless you have the size to deal with it. And I'm just as strong as Paul is. I'm not sure that he does. This should be a close one though. Like in the actual, I hope this is a close one. I hope it's a close one as is this next one, um, which is Damian Lillard versus Steph Curry. I'm picking Steph. I respect anyone who picks Damian Lillard because I feel like he can have more power He'll generate more power going to the basket, but I'm going to trust Stephen Curry's from scratch jumper more than Lillard. And he just has, he's, he's a better finisher. Like there's all these kind of like circuit 
uh, circus finishes that he can drop, and then even just his floater game is 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 ahead of Dame's. So I think that he ultimately gets it. But this should actually be another close one. And I understand if, if people are focused more on maybe physicality, as you do sometimes, I understand why why Dame would be the pick for some. Yeah, I don't think you're going to be surprised then. And at least I still have your respect for picking Dame here. Uh, but yeah, the, the physicality part of the argument is, is what does it for me, even though I, I think this is another really, really close one. And if Steph just catches fire, which he has been known to do from time to time, I don't think there's much Lillard can do to slow him down. But I, I do think that barring a really hot stretch that the physicality is, is too much and that Lillard would kind of run away at the end. That's fair enough. I'm glad we're not agreeing on all these, though. I think that's a good thing. Next up, though, D. Wade and James Harden. Yeah, I hate to pick against Wade, but I'm going to do it. I just I think that, that Harden is just the ultimate smaller one-on-one player. I mean, he is an offensive isolation deity. I don't think that that's in any way hyperbolic after what we've seen and how successful the Houston offense has been with him dribbling the ball to death. And I think that his defense is also made for this kind of situation. Like we've we, we've known for, for a couple of years now that Harden is at least an adequate defender in some situations. He's a great post defender. And he's a fairly solid on-ball defender. Um, and if he can slow down Wade even the tiniest bit, which I think he can, and it'll be interesting how fouls are called between these two very, very good foul-drawing players. Um, I do think if he can slow him down in the slightest, that his offensive game is too strong. So I mostly agree with you there. I think he's in the face-up situations where if you let Dwayne Wade get going downhill too much, that will create problems for Harden. But you mentioned it with the post. That takes away probably one of Wade's best weapons in this matchup. Not takes away, but something that Harden matches up well against. And you could probably play off him enough where if you're going to dare him to shoot um, long twos or from threes, you probably come out where I should say long ones. And um, so I, I I think it would still probably be close, but I'm, I'm with you on everything you said with Harden. He just has more of a mixed bag um, on offense. So I would pick him too. Yeah. I also think that, that Wade's pump fake as devastating as it's been throughout his, his long NBA career, it doesn't play here. I mean, when you pump fake you, what are you going to do afterwards now? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm completely with you there. And again, if you, his back to the basket is something that he's really good at, but Harden is at least solid there and he's used to guarding bigger players. I don't know if that makes Wade easier or harder because he's just craftier with the ball in in his hands but i do think that the fact that harden has proven himself in the post that this could actually translate here so let's stick with the smaller players and 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 get through that side of the bracket before we move to the bigger ones which means that i have isaiah thomas versus Allen iverson and i'm picking Allen iverson in a landslide and i'm going to assume that you're picking chris paul in a landslide to make it into that final four yes i'm i'm totally with you there we're in lockstep the other one's harder um, I have Damian Lillard versus Harden, and I, I think that that's actually kind of a runaway still um, in favor of Harden. And you have Steph versus Harden, which is probably a more compelling matchup just because of the the pure offensive potency. Yeah, I'm going to pick James Harden in that as well. So then we have Harden versus Iverson, and I'm still sticking with Harden for basically the same reasons. Um, and you have Harden versus CP3 to get the first spot in the finals. I'm going to take CP3 here. Okay. So we do have a disagreement there, which again, I think is a good thing. So moving on to the bigger players, we have Michael Jordan versus Kawhi Leonard, which is probably one of my favorite 
matchups of the tournament. Um, just because Leonard Leonard might be the rare player who actually matches up with Michael Jordan well on both ends. But I'm picking Michael Jordan. I'm picking Michael Jordan as well. But I, you can make a case that in many ways, um, peak. Peak Kawhi Leonard is a better facsimile of Michael Jordan than Kobe Bryant was, just because of when you look we at the saw level, that in the playoffs. Yeah, when you look at the level of defense that they played, and Kobe was a good defender in his heyday, but Kawhi Leonard has been the best defender in the NBA for quite some time during his heyday, and so there's that argument there. But I, I think it, look, it has to, it has to be Michael Jordan. I would still say it has to be Michael Jordan. I'm, I'm with you. Um, the next matchup we have Tracy McGrady and LeBron James. To, LeBron I mean, in a landslide, right? Much much love to T-Mac, but it's LeBron in a landslide. No, you know what? Um, I'm not giving – actually, Tracy McGrady is awesome. I used his realtor once for something, so awesome Tracy McGrady, but he shouldn't even be here. I just want to point that out, but carry on, please. <laughs> well, our next, match, our next matchup has someone else who shouldn't be here, and that's Tim Duncan, who now has to play Kevin Durant and is going to get slaughtered Destroyed. Absolutely demolished. I think this is this – is, you know, Giannis maybe versus Isaiah Kevin Thomas Durant would have been so much better. That would have been so much better. This is, yeah, that that one that one is a is a see. It's almost mean for putting Duncan here. So everyone who voted for Duncan Duncan actually gave him a disservice, did him a disservice. I can't talk. Never can. I like it. I like it. And then our final first round matchup of this tournament of champions is Dirk versus Shaq. Shaq will kill him. Shaq Shaq will kill him. Dirk will make make some of those one legged flamingo fadeaways. Well, that's but if he gets the if Shaq starts off with the ball. I don't know. Twenty one. Twenty one. Nothing. Over from the start. Yeah. Over from the start. All right, then we have the matchup that everybody wants that probably could have been a finals matchup but is happening in the Elite Eight, and that's Michael Jordan versus LeBron James. My pick is LeBron James, one-on-one. My pick is Michael Jordan. Uh, I think that I, I think that when you take LeBron's court awareness and court vision out of the equation, that Jordan is just slightly better in this situation. Here's my thing, and I feel more comfortable. I know we're. I guess it's. This is so confusing because we're talking about prime LeBron, and prime LeBron probably didn't have. I don't know what that means. Yeah, like the step back comfort. Like I'm, I'm blending different versions of LeBron in my head, and maybe that's wrong. But you know, LeBron also has like he has size on Jordan, and he just has he has power on him, and so yeah, Jordan could get to the rim, but we're talking about LeBron has like 50 pounds on Jordan, essentially. Whatever weight you, even if Jordan was at, if you want to say like 220, like he's still going to have like 30 pounds on him. And so there are so many more things I think LeBron can do to him on offense, overpower him um, when he's attacking the basket. He can employ those type of fadeaways inside the arc. He's gotten comfortable with some step backs um, above the break now and then in the post as well. So, and then just the fact on defense, I don't. I don't think that he's completely overmatched there just because he is so big and he could probably get his body between him and, and Jordan's best angles near the basket. It might not matter because Jordan himself is so good at um, was so good at those those fadeaways and he could just dunk through you know um, giants anyway. But I still think LeBron in a one-on-one setting, you want to say Jordan's the GOAT, I will not put up a fight there. I think in a one-on-one setting, LeBron get, LeBron ends up winning. Who do you think is going to win the voting? I do think it's going to be Jordan. See, I actually think it's going to be LeBron in the voting. <laughs> I guess the recency bias, uh, but I just default yeah, to so yeah. many people. It does. The conversation seems to tilt more towards making sure now that LeBron can never be the GOAT. Like we're pointing out, oh, he's never going to catch MJ in rings and look at how inevitable the Bulls were in a way that LeBron's teams really have never been. 
So mm-hmm. perhaps that's just really blinding me a little bit too much. But if LeBron does take this matchup in the voting, I will be pleasantly surprised. So that was a tough one to pick. I actually think the next one's even tougher. For me, it might be the absolute toughest matchup to pick in the entire tournament. And it's Kevin Durant versus Shaquille O'Neal. I'm sticking with Shaq. I just I think that you know, we, we forget that he could handle the ball in transition, that he was a guy who could capably defend out to the perimeter during those early years in the NBA. And I just as as much as Durant has developed on defense, especially during his time with the Warriors, where he became comfortable playing small ball five, that's small ball five. And and, and Shaq is not small. Uh, look, I mean, first of all, how much weight is Kevin Durant giving up in this matchup? Like if we're just estimating, probably Roughly 70 pounds. A Kevin Durant. <laughs> it is not that much, but Here's the thing I'll say. Uh, there's more variance in someone who's going to exist in this, in this as a jump shooter than there is as someone who could just overpower their way to the basket in a way where it's not like length is necessarily going to stop them, which with KD, I don't think we're really going to see that with Shaq. And that's why I go Shaq as well. And it's why the Steph-Harden matchup took me kind of mm-hmm. so long to decide is that you know Steph pr- probably lives on the perimeter a little bit more then Harden because he's so much better at drawing fouls, but I just don't, the difference there, they both live on the perimeter to an extent when you look at Harden's step backs, and then it seems negligible in a one-on-one setting where it's call your own fouls, like it's tough to distinguish, but just the way that Shaq plays and just the the sheer enormity of him and just knowing that Kevin Durant isn't particularly strong, I would be, I would actually be mildly shocked if Kevin Durant ends up winning the, the fan vote in this. So are you also picking Shaq to beat LeBron? Because I I am picking Shaq to beat Jordan. Yeah, I think I'm picking Shaq to beat LeBron as well. Yep, and then our that means our final matchups. I have Shaq versus Harden, which is a, a matchup that I would I would pay so much money to see. Talk about a stylistic difference. Um, and, and you have Shaq versus CP3, which might be like it's a bigger size difference. I don't know if it's as much of a stylistic difference, if that makes any sense. But I, I, Shaq was my pick to win from the time that I conceptualized this tournament, and I, I'm not deviating from it now. I, I, as, as you mentioned earlier, he might be the most dominant player at his peak in NBA history, and I think that that dominance translates almost perfectly to this setting. Now, my argument for Stephen Curry would be that he could hit enough two-pointers and get hot enough to be so far ahead that if he just gets enough possessions, he'll end up winning. However, if that was the crux of what I was going to use to pick him, I would have then selected Kevin Durant against Shaq, which I did not. And so I am obligated to go Shaq here as well. So there you have it. We're both picking Shaquille O'Neal to win the NBA math all-time one-on-one tournament. And we are very excited to see what the fans end up doing. So many of these matchups seem like they can go either way from this point forward. And I think that with the exception of Ty Lawson, you can make a case for basically every player left alive winning at least one matchup. Uh, so yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes from here. And I'm also very excited that now that we're only dealing with 16 players instead of uh, 4,489, that, that my workload is, is getting a little bit lightened. Yeah, this was super fun. I'm glad we got to go through it. Make sure you're following NBA Math at NBA underscore math so that you can participate in um, the actual poll solicitations that will be going out soon. And you can help shape the winner of this. If you disagree with us, let us know on Twitter. At Frommel09 is Adam. At Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E, is me. Uh, 
unless you have anything else to add, Adam, I think we're, we're just ready to, to sign off here. This was a lot of fun, though, and I hope people listen to the whole thing. And again, let us know if you have any questions, qualms, or concerns. And until next time, I think we have to leave everyone with the shout-out to the one, the only, the ultimate one-on-one tournament champion, Shaquille O'Neal. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.